And the verse that I'm zeroing in on tonight is verse 23, Proverbs 4.23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. I've spoken on this verse before about 10 years ago, and I wouldn't be surprised if somebody's spoken on it since then, besides myself here. can't remember that someone has, but I uh, wouldn't be surprised. But it's such an important verse and so foundational to the whole Christian life that uh, I don't feel bad about speaking on it again. So... um, Let's, let's read just the context, but I really am just zeroing in on verse 23. But let's start with verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their whole body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious lips far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Well, this, of course, is Solomon speaking to his son, but more importantly, it's God speaking to us. God saying, my son, my daughter. And he zeroes in on this important area of our lives, our heart. Our heart. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Let me just read a few different uh, translations of that, different versions. The King James says, keep your heart. Uh, The NIV says, above all else, guard your heart. For from it is the springs of life. The ESV says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So the first thing we need to determine, or at least analyze a little bit, is what's he talking about our heart? Obviously, he's not talking about the physical thing that pumps the blood. And normally we think about, you know, a heart being the center of emotions, kind of, you know, uh, the emotional part of our life but that's really not the way the bible uses that word it's it's more the inner man the inner you the the spirit uh the the source of thought and will and feelings and consciousness so what i'm trying to emphasize here it's not just our emotions that we're talking about when he says keep your heart Um, what makes you you down on the personal level the center of your inner personal life. So Solomon is saying, and God's saying to us, above all else, guard this. It's like, make this a little safety deposit box, you know, something, put the precious things there and be careful about it. Uh, So the point that I think the first thing we need to remember here and get a hold of is that the key, the The keeping and right management of our heart is of extreme importance to the Christian life. 
that's just the bottom line of what we're, we're saying here. It's a, what we're talking about here is a, of extreme importance. Above all else, keep your heart, guard your heart, watch over your heart. Uh, well, we might say then, why, why is that so important? Well, it's because everything else flows from this. That's what he says here. For from it flow the springs of life. Um, let me just read a few things uh, that I uh, wrote down here today from various authors. Solomon is giving us one of the most important practical duties of the Christian life. All other duties pale in comparison with guarding your heart. Since there's a lot of things that are important, but this gets down to the very basic, most important. All other things fail in relationship to this, or pale in relationship to this. The heart is the great vital spring of the soul, the fountain of our actions. We get very concerned about our actions, and it's right that we do. But the place that those actions come from is the heart. So he says, above all else, deal with the heart. Look to your heart. Um, Warren Worsby said this, The heart is the master control of life. Wrong heart, a wrong heart always produces a wrong life. To allow sin into the heart is to pollute the entire life. You must continually, he says, post a guard at the doorway of your heart so that every avenue for sin's entry is blocked. It's like a citadel, and you have to post the guards there uh, so it's not overrun by these things like the world and the flesh and the devil. If that happens, the whole man will suffer if we don't guard our heart. So the, the solution, what uh, Solomon is saying here, is that it has to be guarded. It's of uh, such a vital nature. What, what's going on there is going to determine all the rest of your life. So, uh, I mean, we say this over and over again, but it's important to recognize that Christianity is primarily a religion of the heart, not externals. Another place uh, in the Proverbs, it says, My son, give me thy heart. Give me thy heart. That's what God's concerned about. If he gets that, the other things will come. The other things will fall uh, into place. If the heart's not right, nothing else will be. So, uh, primarily, the Christianity is not a, a religion of the understanding. You know, you get a, some right thoughts. That's important. Uh, and that's part of what it means to have your heart right. <clears throat> but uh, it, it's not primarily that. It's deeper than that, you see, because we can have right thoughts and still be wrong. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts you see. So, just to emphasize, the condition of the heart is what God's looking at. Um, it's not enough to keep our outward actions looking good if our heart is, is wrong or ins insincere or unloving. God is not pleased. And the picture that he uses here is that of uh, a spring, a spring of water. For out of, out of the heart, it says, for from it flow the springs of life. You think of a, a hillside where you have various uh, places where this 
water's coming out of the side of the hillside, a spring. Well, the, the, the important thing is that the, the, the source of that spring is not polluted, because if the source is polluted, all these other places are going to be messed up. Here's the illustration from the water thing. If you, if you get the, the treatment plant messed up, uh, when you drink the water here, it's not going to be good. So this is what he's talking about, the heart. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Um, we have to continually watch our heart, be careful. And in practical terms, just mention a few things. It means we have to be careful about what we read, what we hear, what we see, what we talk about with other people. Uh, as the saying goes, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Well, if, you, if you're not watching over your heart and letting the garbage in, that's what's going to come out of your life. So uh, we, have to, we have to guard our heart in relationship to things like what we listen to on the radio, what we watch on TV, uh, what we see on the Internet or read on the Internet. Well, what we listen to as far as music, all those things are areas that are uh, involved in this thing of guarding the heart. Uh, we have to keep the source pure. In fact, really, I think there's two things. Watching includes two things. One is to keep uh, pollutants from coming in, and the other would be to keep anything that that's in there that's good from being stolen. I mean, that's why we guard things. You want, you want to keep the bad from coming in and the good from being taken out. So you have both of those aspects here I think we should be uh, mindful of when we're talking about watching over our heart with all diligence. Uh, our heart, that is our inner man, must be a sanctuary for God's spirit if those living waters are going to be flowing out and uh, flowing up to God in praise and out to others in uh, good, good deeds. So uh, we have to be diligent about this. This is not something you can be sloppy about, half-hearted about. Uh, with all, he says, watch over your heart with all diligence because it is so important. So how then do we guard our hearts? I mean, I've mentioned a few things here in general, but I, I want to list seven things that I think go into this area of guarding our heart. But I would say this first of all. The first thing we have to be concerned about is that we have a heart that should be guarded. By that I mean you have to have a new heart. If, if you're not converted, if you're not a Christian, the heart that you have, you don't want to guard that one. You want to get rid of that one. In fact, that's the problem with the natural man. He's guarding that heart. And it's not a heart he should be guarding. He should be giving it up to God. But he won't do that. So we're not talking about guarding that heart which is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We're talking about guarding, if you're a Christian, we're talking about guarding that new heart that God has given you. 
the one that comes when a person's born again and God comes to live within him uh, through the Holy Spirit, giving life in the inner man. So that's that's the first thing. I mean, uh, that's not one of the seven because of the seven have to do with guarding that new heart. But the first thing to, to be concerned about is do I have a heart worth guarding? And you only have that if God gives you that new heart. So then what, what does it mean to guard that new heart? And I, these are seven things, and I, I'm sure that that's uh, kind of an arbitrary number, but it's at least a good start on things that we should think about when we read this verse, when, when we're told to guard our heart. Here's, here's how uh, we do that. First and foremost, I think we should seek to continually fill our heart with the person and work of Christ, his beauty and his glory, an awareness, a continual dwelling on his great love for us demonstrated on the cross. I think that is primary, of utmost importance, uh, to continually seek to fill our heart with what God has done for us in Christ. The reason I say that is because if we do that, there's not going to be any room for sin to enter in. If you keep Christ at the center, that's going to keep sin out. And that's, I think, part of what Paul is saying when he says, set your affections on things above, not on things below. If you, if you have Christ at the center of your life and are not just... Uh, it's not just a one-time thing. The Christian life is continually dwelling upon what Christ has done for us and who he is and what he's done. So uh, I think there's where we must begin as Christians to keep our heart. The next thing I would say is that we need to meditate in your heart on the Word of God. I mean, where do we learn about Christ? We learn about Christ in the word that he's given us in the scriptures. So continually, again, I like that word continually because these are not just uh, one-time or haphazard things. This is something we need to come back to over and over. Meditate in your heart on the word of God. I'm stressing the word meditate there because it's more than just reading a little from the Bible. I'm talking about... uh, meditating and asking God to make these things a reality in our lives that we see in the scriptures. This is how we're talking about how you guard your heart. So meditating on the word of God. In fact, that's really uh, the section that we read there. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Well, that's Solomon talking to his son, but that's the way we read that, the way we should read that as Christians. That's God talking to us. Give attention to my words, God says. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. So meditate on the truths of God as revealed in the Scripture. First of all, 
concentrate on Christ. Secondly, meditate on the Word of God. Third, and I already kind of alluded to this one, stay away from uh, companions, situations, activities that compromise your walk with Christ. Bad company corrupts good morals. Stay away from those things that you know uh, corrupt you and pollute your conscience. And I think really that's kind of what comes out in the latter part of what we read here uh, in this section in chapter 4, where he says, uh, Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. It's talking about staying away from those things that you know are detrimental to your spiritual life. Uh, Things that will pollute your conscience, pollute your heart. You don't want that. You can't uh, keep your heart if if you don't heed those checks of the Spirit that say, don't do that, don't do that, stay away from that. Uh, there's a verse let me just read this you don't need to turn to it in Romans uh, chapter 16 and verse uh, 19 says this for the report of your obedience has reached to all therefore I am rejoicing over you but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil And just uh, zeroing in on that phrase, innocent in what is evil. The world tries to tell you, you need to know about these things. And if you just experience them a little, then you can make your decision whether you like it or not. That's not what God wants. Stay away from those things that you know God says to stay away from. You need to be innocent in what is evil. And you shouldn't feel ashamed when you're ignorant of perversion. The world wants you to say, well, you know, you really ought to know a little about this. No, you shouldn't feel a bit ashamed about being ignorant of those things. There's no reason to allow those things into your heart and mind. And there's a, a lot of things in my life that I wished I hadn't experienced. I just, I just wished I hadn't gotten involved in that. So, stay away from those type of things. Now, we're not talking about, you know, some type of separation where you just say, well, I'm going to go off and live by myself somewhere so I'm not around all the polluting influences of the world. We're not talking about that. But we are talking about staying away from those things that you know are going to pollute your heart and mind. So that was number three. Number four, realize that tribulation and chastisement and discipline, chastening, are vital parts of the Christian life. Don't believe the lie that as a Christian if things start going hard and you're experiencing some difficulties that God's not with you 
it may very well be a sign that God is very much with you. And that's why those things are happening. So, uh, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. And he also said, told us that discipline is a vital part of the Christian life. So we need to be careful about this, I think. Uh, just to have the wrong attitude of if it's, if it's going difficult, it's being difficult externally, that that necessarily means there's something wrong internally. That may not be at all the case. And don't let uh, Satan pull you down with that uh, way of viewing things. Number five, don't allow worry and and anxiety to abide in your heart, to continue on in your heart. And uh, this probably could have been a separate one. Don't dwell or allow yourself to wallow in self-pity. Those things will eat away at the heart and it will... Um, make it so that uh, what comes forth from your life will not be um, pleasing to God. So um, don't allow worry and anxiety. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Don't dwell on the negative things. Focus on God's promises and his provision, and even his past mercies. It helps a lot, often, in keeping our heart just in the midst of difficult times to just remember God's past blessings and mercies and how he's brought you through difficult times. Uh, as, as it says in the, uh, another spot, it says, uh, forget none of his benefits. Forget none of his benefits. <clears throat> So that was number five. And number six, believe that God really does have your best interest in mind. And I kind of underline the word your there because uh, if you put it personally, God really does have my best interest in mind in what he brings into my life. What he, he, he knows, and we usually don't, he knows what he's doing with our life and why he's doing it. And what he does, we, it's, a, it's a faith position to just say, no matter what things look like, I know that what he does is always the wisest and best thing for me personally because I'm his child. He who spared not his son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? He's going to bring those all things into your life and they'll be the best things even though it often doesn't look like that so if we're going to keep our heart we have to keep that attitude in our heart that uh, he always has our best interests on his heart believe that he really does have our best interest in mind and then Lastly, I would say that the area of prayer is uh, very basic to this thing of keeping our heart. Um, let's, let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. Very well-known verse, but it fits in so well here that we'll just...
just look at it, read it. Philippians <clears throat> chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7. This kind of fits in back into the other one on anxiety. But uh, fits with this one too in the area of prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if we're gonna have our if our if we're gonna have our hearts guarded, prayer is important. Prayer is very important. He's promised to keep our hearts. Now, this this is where it gets. It's one of those uh, paradoxes of the Christian life, because we're told in the verse we're looking at to watch, to guard, to keep our heart. We're also told that God keeps our heart. Well, how do you explain that? Well, I guess I don't. I just say it's our duty. To keep our heart, and it's God, through God's power that we can keep our heart. And I just, I just know that they're both right. <clears throat> our, our duty, the duty is ours, the power is His. So, uh, Just to bring home the seriousness of this and how uh, how this verse ought to really make us uh, extremely careful about what's said here. It's not enough to know this. Because Solomon, the one who wrote this, knew this, and in the end he didn't do it. Let's turn to 1 Kings. Not sure I have the right reference here. I hope so. First Kings, <clears throat> chapter eleven. Think of think of what he wrote. What we're talking about here tonight, and then what happened. Here's the man who wrote this verse, who uh, God had write it to put it in the scriptures even. And yet, he didn't follow it. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign wives along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Name some of the different women that he loved from nations concerning whom he said the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them. So he's going after these foreign wives from all these nations that God had uh, told him to stay away from. And it says this, at the end of verse 2, for they will surely turn your heart away from their God, after their, turn away, turn away after your gods. Let me read it again. For they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wife, wives turned his heart away. For it came about 
when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord God as his heart of his father David had been. And then it tells about some of the things that he got involved in. It was terrible idolatry. And one of the, uh, the uh, false gods was even Moloch, which is incredible. I don't know if he got this far along, but Moloch was the one they w- were burning their sons and daughters to. And he got so far messed up because he didn't guard his heart that he was actually involved in the worship of Moloch, setting up uh, idols. So, uh, and it's just incredible. I, I guess I, I, it just hit me how we're talking about something here that you cannot just take as information and saying, yeah, I need to do that and just go on. <laughs> You've got to be diligent in this. One man said, Many have been the bitter moments from the neglect of this guard. All keeping is vain if the heart is not kept. Many have been the bitter moments. I can say that from my own personal life in times where I know that I haven't guarded my heart. It's been, there's been bitter fruit from it. Well, I wanted to, to close here with uh, some thoughts from Alexander McLaren. He said this, there is no holy life without guarding our hearts. They just, you're not going to have a, a walk with God without guarding our hearts. There's no effectual guarding unless God guards There's no divine guarding unless it comes by way of faith. You're going to have to trust God to guard your heart. Because he said he would do that, you see. It is vain to preach self-governing and self-keeping. I am not talking about that tonight. Unless you can tell the person that the Lord is their keeper and that he will keep them from all evil and he will keep the soul. All we're doing is adding one more impossible command to man's burdens. See, you have to have both sides of this. You have to have the side of our duty and you also have the side of um, that it's God that works in us both the will and to do his good pleasure. You have to have that side too. Else we're just on our own trying to keep our hearts and that's not going to work. It's just another impossible command. And we do not apprehend nor experience the divine keeping in its most blessing and fullest reality unless we find it in Christ who is able to keep us from falling 
and present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's why, of all these things I've mentioned, I think the number one, the first, the one I started with, is, is so important. Continually fill your heart with the person and work and promises of God in Christ. His beauty, His glory, His great love for us demonstrated on the cross. Well, uh, here's a little poem that uh, I'm working on. It's not done yet. It's kind of in, in process. But it's called The Keeper of My Soul. And actually, I'm taking this. We ought to read the proverb. I mean the uh, psalm. Psalm 121. This is where we need to end before I read the poem. Psalm 121. Because that's what this psalm is about. The psalmist says, I will lift my eyes to the mountains from whence shall come my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's not, this is not some kind of a uh, nature worship thing. I lift my eyes to the hills. No, he said, I'm doing that only because I, it makes me realize that my help comes from the Lord who, who's the maker of heaven and earth. Now, here's the part. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. See how many times that's mentioned in this psalm. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. The Lord is our keeper. He's, he's, he's the good shepherd. He's the one, ultimately, that brings us through. So, anyway, I was thinking about that uh, psalm and tried to write a little something here. Um, I guess you'd say these are personal musings, but I'll share them with you. I'm so unloving, yet I love you. Often I fail, often I fall, but I don't want to. With a, faint, with a faith so faint, yet I trust you. Lord Jesus, you're the keeper of my soul. With mercies every morning, always found new. In trials you've always made a way through. Every moment I can trust you. Lord Jesus, you're the keeper of my soul. You keep my wandering thoughts from sin. You place your Holy Spirit within. In times of darkness, help me clearly see you have only good desires for me. When I fall, you're there to catch me. When I wander, you're there to direct me. When fearful, in danger, you protect me. I know you're the keeper of my soul. So I sing this 
song to my Redeemer, who can take my divided heart and make it whole. Yes, I sing this song to Christ my Savior, sovereign shepherd and guardian of my soul. So what I'm trying to express there is, yes, we're directed to keep watch over our hearts, but ultimately we know that he's the keeper of our soul. And we, he's promised to do that, and we can trust him and look to him. Our faith may be faint, but we, we can trust him. Well, uh, I guess I'll close there. And uh, I'll just read the verse one more time here. We'll be done. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Father, we pray that you would help us to heed these words from your word and not be half-hearted in this thing of watching over our heart. And we are thankful that we have a keeper of our soul, a shepherd and guardian of our soul. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen.